What I want to talk to you today is the importance of a biblical community. Many of us are part of different communities, right? In fact, if, if you look at the stats, you would find out that um, 2.7 billion people use social media. Researchers would say this is the most connected people have ever been. Listen to that. The most connected you have ever been. Some of you are on social media right now while I'm preaching. <laughs> we are connected to information all across the world anytime we want it. So researchers say this is crazy. The most connected people have ever been. The average American spends 10 and a half hours a day in front of a screen. That is, that is, there's, now I don't know who they take this poll to. I never get asked when I hear these polls. No one ever asks me these questions, but it's out there. So while they say this is the most connected generation, watch this. They say this is also considered the loneliest generation. You know, they took these stats and took a poll. 46% of Americans say they feel incredibly lonely most, most days of their life. 54% of Americans say that nobody really knows who they truly are. And the reason why I believe is because we have learned how to be fake. We have learned to, how to be fake, especially in the church, because we're afraid of being judged. We're afraid that our true selves will be rejected. Therefore, we mask our failures. We even enhance our victories so that people can have a perception of us that's not reality. But... 54% of people feel like they're so alone. Let me tell you why this is. Because we are created for community as a people. No matter who you are, no matter where you live, God has created us and put in us this desire to belong. Even people who are extreme introverts like myself, like this is easy for me to speak to you on stage. If you were to see me at a birthday party, I am terrified of people. I'm an extreme introvert. But even extreme introverts don't want to be alone. Let me give you an example. Three days out of the week, you can find me at a coffee shop. The reason why I go to a coffee shop is because the office is too distracting for me. So I want to get away. So I get away and I go to the coffee shop, but I want to focus on my job. So I open up my laptop and I put headphones on. The headphones lets people know that I don't want to be messed with. I just want to focus on my job. Now, if you ever see me, feel free to say hi. I'll say hi back. <laughs> but it's interesting because even introverts say, I want to be alone, but I don't want to be alone. I really want to be left alone. Right? And so we, we do this. Now, where does this desire come from? Because um, you have gangs that learn how to take someone who is lonely, has no value, and they bring them in into a community. I know because I was one of them. I wasn't a very tough gangster, but I tried to be. <laughs> then I found sports. Sports throughout the rest of my life gave me community value and worth because it allowed me to be part of a community. I always desire to be part of a community just like you do. You come here today, and some of you are sitting by yourself, don't know a soul, but in you this desire to be part of a community. Where does that come from? 
Here's what happened in Genesis chapter 3. God saw that it wasn't good for man to be alone. You've probably heard this before, and I want you to listen to what the enemy did. And I share this all the time because I think the root of all sin goes back to Genesis chapter 3. God created male and female in his image and his likeness because he said it wasn't good for me to be alone. This was the first community he created. Listen to how he created them. He created them so spiritually they would come together. He created them so emotionally, watch this, they would come together. And he created them physically so they would come together. It's his very first community that he created. Look at what happened next. The enemy comes in the scene in Genesis 3, and he begins to destroy what God created. What he did with sin was, watch, he broke this community. So in order for us to commune with God, it became more difficult because sin came and broke this. This is why when you sin or do something you're not supposed to do, you naturally feel like something is wrong, right? You feel guilty. You feel shameful. It's even hard for you to come to church sometimes because you feel like you're being judged. Well, the enemy's doing that, and he is trying to divide you and God. The enemy's saying, you're not perfect. God will never love you. So just This relationship's going to be broken. Then he does this. Then he breaks relationships between each other. He wants us to fight. He wants us to argue. He wants us to not live in community. And here's what happens. If you look at our world today, we are so divided for everything. And I just feel like as a pastor, like the enemy's like, oh, man, I'm getting this is pretty easy. I'm getting them divided on everything. Christians don't even see eye to eye. The gospels become secondary, no longer primary. But let me free you up today to some degree. This brokenness I'm talking about between us and God and us and each other exists all in this room. Like there is nobody in this room today, let me set you free, that has it all together. You could have come in here wearing Gucci and Prada. But inside there's some issues. This may blow your mind when I say this. Do you know that as your pastor, that there are some Sunday mornings where my wife and I have a disagreement before I preach? Now, it's never my fault. It's usually hers. But do you know (laughs) we got issues sometimes? What does the enemy want to do? Well, he knows if he can break this... He disrupts this on a Sunday. He knows that if he can break this relationship and this community, which we have an awesome relationship, and we have an awesome community, don't we, honey? (laughs) Spiritually, we do. Emotionally, we do. And physically, we do. We have a great (laughs) relationship. But he wants to break that because if he breaks this, watch this. He has been king at this in our society. If he breaks this, this is my son, then he will mess up this. If he breaks this, he will mess up this. The enemy wants to destroy the community at home first. He wants to destroy your community with God. Many of you are here today and the church has hurt you. And you probably just came in here and it's like, I'm going to give it one more shot. And you really don't like the church that much. 
And let me just tell you, like, I don't always disagree with you. In fact, one of the number one reasons why people are leaving the church is because the church comes off hypocritical. It's judgmental. The church has forgot how to live out what they preach. The church has forgotten how to live out what we always preach. The very first church that we will ever see was built around this authentic, this transparent, this this eagerness to grow and to learn. You know, the great thing about the first church is they didn't know how to be fake. Over time, we've learned that. And if you turn to your Bibles in Acts chapter 2, what we're going to see is the very first church. If you're wondering today, know nothing about the Bible, you're going to be here and you're going to hear today, how did all this come about? How are we here today? In fact, I will tell you, if verse 42 wasn't a reality, we wouldn't exist today. If you're a Christian in the room, you are a byproduct of this first church. Think about that. Think about the legacy this church left, that you wouldn't have heard the gospel if they weren't obedient. So listen, verse 42 through 47, the very first church, what did they do? And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. If you've never read this passage, let me share with you what's taking place. Last week, I preached about Peter and this guy who was known for failing and he wasn't perfect and he was kind of gritty and he did things that were wrong and he said things that were wrong and God restored him and then God used him in a mighty way. And what we see is in verse 41, you would see in your Bible, it says that over 3,000 people were saved. God took a man, Peter, who was known for his failure, restored him. He came up and preached about Jesus Christ. People responded. One of the largest invitations we probably have seen early in the early church. And all of a sudden, over 3,000 people come forward. At this point, they had 120 people in the church. So now you see over 3,000 people. And they're wondering, how do we serve 3,000 people? How do we make this big church small? How do we hold people accountable? How do we be sure that someone's not going to come to church on Sunday and go live for Satan on Monday? How do we be sure when somebody is hurting and walking through depression or anxiety that we can come and love them? How do we be sure that when somebody's walking through cancer that we can be there and love on them? How do we be sure that when someone has lost a loved one, they don't walk and grieve alone? How do we do this? And so God orchestrated this plan that he put together in order to make this over 3,000-person church feel small. Now, our church at North Phoenix is over 4,000 active members. Every month we have over 4,000 different people who come in here. How do we make this big church feel small? 
Here's what you're going to see. Many people would say, um, I'm coming, I'm, I'm, I'm listening, but man, there's something missing in my life. There's no doubt in my mind that you are here today because you want to grow spiritually. You want more out of Jesus. You want to know more. You want to be transformed. You, you want this, and these are good things. It's while you, why you are here. I want you to look at verse 42 for a moment. Here comes the people. Uh, what were they doing? And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. I want to sit on this word devotion in the Greek and what it means. Your text may say steadfast. I want you to take note of what's happening. These people, over 3,000, were living in a chaotic world. They were getting pressure. These people would soon um, find out that being a Christian wasn't easy. In fact, if you were a Christian during this time, they would behead you if you didn't renounce your faith. They would light you on fire on a stake. They would also, as they were partying late at night when it got dark, they would find Christians, put them on a stake as torches to light up the city so they can continue their partying. Now you take that in mind, understanding that when people became Christians, they were leaving other belief systems, now were incredibly lonely. They were losing family members, they were losing friends, they were losing loved ones, and became isolated and lonely. This word devoted in the Greek meant that they were unwavering, they were steadfast, they were focused, their eyes were centered on Jesus Christ and the teachings, the apostles' teachings. They wanted to know how to be strong. They wanted to know that when, when, when people, opposition comes, they won't take their focus off. They wanted to be sure that when the world was chaotic, they looked more like Jesus than they did those of the world. See, and that's the crazy thing about Christianity today. It's hard to tell who's a Christian, who's not. A lot of Christians look like the world today because it's hard to stand on Scripture you will find yourself being one of the loneliest people when you're trying to stand on Scripture. It will be hard for you to be a Christian amongst other Christians. And this is why he's telling them, listen, be devoted. Don't let this distract you. When I played college basketball, um, I was a horrible free throw shooter. In fact, my wife called me Baby Shaq. Let me tell you why. I have tattoos, and one of the tattoos I have is a Christian fish. I got saved, and I was living a crazy life, and I got saved, and I thought, people got to know I'm a Christian. I'm going to go all out. So I got scripture, I got a fish, I got all kinds of stuff on my arms. But here's what would happen when I was a point guard, and um, one of my first games, I had 15 turnovers. In case you don't know anything about basketball, that's not good. 15 turnovers. And part of the reason why was because every time I touched the ball, the entire stadium of 3,000 people would holler, fish boy, fish boy. And man, it messed my head up. And then, and then whenever I'd go for the free throw, I'd hear fish boy, fish boy. And I couldn't say it out loud because I was a new Christian, but in my head, I was still being sanctified. I would say, your mama, your mama, while I'm dressed. But here's what happened. It was so embarrassing. I was like 30% on free throws. Wow. Yeah. And I would airball or I'd hit the front of the rim. And it was all this distraction that, man, made me so easily just distracted from being effective. 
During this time, they're not shooting free throws, but they are trying hard to live out the gospel, to live out the apostles' teaching. You know what this was like? It was like this. Okay, we're going to read about the apostles' teaching. What was the apostles' teaching? It was the life of Jesus. So here's what they would do. Okay, Jesus said to love your enemies. How are we going to do that? How do we love somebody who sits on a different political perspective than we do? How are we supposed to love them? And so this is, this is where he's teaching. Listen, you don't give love based off of where someone sits politically. You don't give love based off of where someone sits racially. You don't give love. And the list goes on and on and on. This is literally, for some of you, like, why do you have to say that word? It's what they're walking through. They're having to learn how the Gentiles and Jews need to love each other. And there's this racial barrier that's being broken. There's this political barrier that's being broken. An economical barrier that's being broken. They're having to learn. We are all so different. But what unites us is stronger than what divides us. And that's the blood of Jesus Christ. How do we live united? I, I love this church. Like, listen, you know why I love being your pastor? It's very clear. We all come from different walks of life in here. We all sit different places politically. We all, that is great. That is fantastic. The reason why I love being your pastor is because you prove Sunday after Sunday after Sunday that the gospel is more important to you than anything else. If it wasn't, you probably would have stopped showing up a long time ago. But you understand while all these things are important, and it's important for Christians to be involved in stuff, it's impo- this is important. But what I love about you as a church is that there is a devotion that you have to Jesus Christ. Yes, we have people who try to distract us. But man, we come in here together and we are a great team because we leave our differences at the door and we raise the flag of Jesus Christ in here. I love it. I love it. And I love doing ministry with you. I love doing life with you. It is a lot of fun. This is what they were doing. There there are so many differences, but man, we are going to devote ourselves. We are going to be steadfast. Why? Because people are made in the image of God. And if we are mature enough, we will recognize that the division happening is the work of the enemy and Satan. The only solution to division in this country is Jesus Christ. The only solution is Jesus Christ. He has the power to change the heart. He has the power to change lives. He has the power to unify. The only solution is Jesus. Be involved in this stuff, yes, but keep Jesus primary in your life. That is the solution to the world's problems. And what you're gonna see in the first church is like, man, yes, we wanna take our eyes off. Yes, we're different. Yes, we don't agree on everything. Yes, yes, yes. But we are gonna devote ourselves, even when it's hard, to the apostles' teaching. We're gonna devote ourselves to the word of God and the fellowship. This word fellowship in the Greek brings out this word intimacy. What I love about this word intimacy, this is why I said they probably didn't know how to be fake. Like today, The church doesn't know how to deal with taboo issues. So we run from them or we bury them, leaving our children and students and college students trying to figure out how the word of God connects and deals with this. Like shame on us as a church if we are not dealing with these big cultural issues and helping our children to understand how to live in a culture and world that's so anti-Christ. Like we need, in our family, you know what we do? Same thing we do with college students. 
You know, there's sometimes I have certain talks with my son and my wife's like, isn't this too early? I said, if it's not for Satan, it's not for me. Because my approach in discipling my own children is this. I want to lay a foundation that Satan has to try to undo. I don't want, to lay a fo- I don't want Satan to lay a foundation that I have to undo. So I'm going to get to their hearts before he does. I'm going to get to their minds before he does. I'm going to tackle cultural issues before he does. I want my children having a biblical view and biblical perspective of what's right, what's wrong, how to love unconditionally, but not stray from your biblical convictions. Like that, that is so key and so important. And so what's being done here in this church, this is the foundation. There is this fellowship going on of true intimacy. Ask whatever question you want to ask. Can you imagine these people coming together and the things they talked about together? The struggles, their sins, their frustrations, their anger. And they were just open, honest, and transparent. They didn't get upset, throw a fit, and leave because of a little issue. Because they were devoted to Jesus Christ. They didn't leave the church because someone hurt them. Let me just free you up. No matter what church you're a part of, we'll have broken people. And broken people are hurt. And hurt people hurt people. So no matter where you go, you'll, you'll come across hurt, broken people. It's, it's just a reminder of the brokenness in our world today. But what they did was like, listen, we're going we're gonna to focus on the teaching. We're going to focus on intimacy and fellowship with other Christians. Uh, we're going to focus on the breaking of bread, which scholars would say this is more than likely the Lord's Supper. It could be a festival, but this also drew community and the prayers. They did these things together. I want you to see something. I'm going to give you a visual. Verse 42, the first church, the foundation of the first church, the very foundation, a biblical community was built on devotion. What you see is a devotion, a devotion to the things of God. That's where it all starts. In your life today, if you are trying to live for Jesus, you want to see Jesus move in your life, it starts with a devotion. But not only a devotion, there was a desperation from these people. Man, let me just tell you, there was, when they came in here and they were being beheaded and murdered and they were lo- leaving their families, can you imagine what a small group was like? It wasn't fabricated. It wasn't counterfeit community. It was authentic Coming to the table together, hey, listen, man, my marriage is struggling. My wife doesn't believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus. Now we're not seeing eye to eye, and I'm struggling. I don't know what we're going to do. Or my son doesn't believe, and he's over there, and it's breaking my heart to see them living like the world. Or, and the list continue, continue. Or they would say, hey, listen, I got some stuff in me that I'm not proud of. There's a sin in my heart, and it keeps wanting to revive itself. I need help. Please, somebody help me. And this was an authentic group, man. It was, it was authentic. It was intimate. There was accountability there so that if someone was posting things on their uh, social media, not that they had it back then, but if they were doing something crazy or living a crazy life in love, the community would come and say, hey, don't go that way. Come here. Man, what I love about my community, I probably have four people in my life that I'm really close with. That's kind of my small group. But when I'm acting a fool or thinking like a fool, they will call me out in love and straighten me out. You need that. You need desperately for someone to sit you down if your mugshot's on Facebook to say, what are you doing? What are you doing? You, we all need that in order to grow and become mature. You need that. And what I love about this text is that there was this intimacy and they had this knowledge, but spiritual maturity was, was synonymous with spiritual application. See, a lot of Christians want 
biblical information, but they don't understand that the, trans, the spiritual transformation is in the application. See, people love to listen to podcasts and you love listening to sermons and love to, but, but, but here is the problem is when people use the phrase, um, I just feel empty or um, it's not spiritually deep enough, spiritual death is synonymous with spiritual application. You don't grow if you don't apply. You can't grow through osmosis. No, no, I mean it. Like, I'm not trying to be, I'm just, I want to free you up because sometimes like I'm listening to podcasts. I'm going to church every Sunday. I'm listening, listening, listening. I'm not growing. You're probably not growing because you're not doing. The doing is the hardest part. Have you tried forgiving your enemy lately? I don't mean like I'm going to unfriend them and forget about it. No, no, no. Have you actually tried to look at that person you can't stand like God loves them and died for them and loved them that way? Oh, it's so hard. It's so hard to, to live that out. But there's transformation when that takes place in you, most importantly. So these biblical principles are so hard. But it's great when you have accountability around you. When, you can, when someone can pull you aside and ask you, hey, 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 I saw some pictures. What did you do last night? Come on, man. To have this community is so important. And they had a, here's what I love. I, I think we've lost it in the, the American church because it's become a consumer church. It's become so easy for us to come in and come out, not be held accountable, not, not really have a hunger for Jesus. And I think the danger in this is in American Christianity, a lot of us have a hunger for what's in his hand, but we don't have a hunger for what's in his heart. And the reason why you feel like, man, you're doing these things, but you're not fulfilled is because you are trying to fill yourself up on this counterfeit community that will never fill your soul. And one of the greatest things that can happen to you, and Jesus will do it because he loves you. Listen to this. Every single person in this room, he will do it to you because he loves you. According to Hebrews, he will gently discipline us to a point where we become so broken that we recognize how much self-sufficiency that we had within ourselves. And he is exposing the self-sufficiency that has led us to a place of loneliness and anxiety. And he will expose it saying, you need me. And he'll break you. And, and when you're broken, here's what happens. I have been there. You become so broken. Let's be transparent that some of you might even think I'm better off dead. Like, can we just be real this morning? Can we do church kind of like they were doing? Some of you had those thoughts. I'm just, and then you're wondering, where did that thought come from? How did that get in my head that I'm better off not living and then you're sitting here and you're empty and you're broken. And, but what he's showing you is, listen, you can't do it within yourself. If you want transformation, church, if you want transformation, it starts with desperation. He doesn't need you to perform for him. He needs you to be fully, fully surrendered in every area of your life. So desperate that you recognize not even this sermon can put you back together. So desperate that no podcast, no book, but Jesus alone will put you back together. So some of you are desperate, and I applaud you for coming to church because you're trying. But let me take it one step deeper for you. Get to the place today when you go back home and get on your knees and say, I can't do it. It'll be some of the most freeing words that you ever say. When you get to the end of yourself and get to a place of desperation, then you'll see spiritual transformation. It's almost as if God will say, I was waiting for you to say that. Now let me go to work. He is so kind, so sweet, and so gentle that he will graciously do that for you.
How do we know this actually works? And how do we know devoting ourselves to this, that there's going to be a return in our investment? Verse 43. Look at what takes place next in verse 43, which I absolutely love. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. What took place? They were devoted, 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 devoted. What was the response? God did amazing work before them. Listen, I don't know about you, but what a waste and what a shame to call myself a Christian and never experience the power of Christ. Like, what's the point? Some of us could be home watching preseason game right now. Some of you are watching on your phone, but some of you could be at home. Man, I want to experience that. Oh, man, I'm so hungry and desperate to experience this all of Jesus. You see them devoted. There's just transformation. There's just God work, God moving. Look at what takes place in the spiritual maturity. You're going to see the maturity, maturity build off one another. Look at this. There is, in verse 43 and 44, after an all comes on every soul and many wonders and signs are being done, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. This biblical community produced a unity. Okay, there was a unity that took place kind of in this room right now. We're all so different, but what holds us together, like I said earlier, there's a unity that's off of the blood of Jesus Christ. And that is more powerful. So we see this unity taking place in a mighty, mighty way that can only be explained by the work of God because it takes maturity to have unity. Then you see this, it just continues to build. Look at the next verse. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. So now you have a biblical community uh, producing a heart of generosity. Let me tell you, just be transparent with you, the hardest thing for me to do when I was a Christian was to serve and was to give. And this isn't a commercial because here's what I believe. Um, I believe that if we are going to give to Jesus, we're going to give to the church, it has to come out of a heart of God doing something in you. Not me making you feel bad about yourself because that's not going to work. But it's the step of faith. I would tell you... um, Man, I remember I would go to church and I'd start to feel convicted. I wanted to grow in my faith, but I wanted to grow in my faith my way in the easy way. Not something that actually took sacrifice. So when I came, I was going, I wouldn't tithe and I'd avoid the topic. If the pastor would talk about it, I'd kind of roll my eyes or I'd walk out the back because I knew that was the very area that I didn't want to let go of. Money was an idol to me. Money was a God to me. And so was my time. So I didn't want to serve. When I, in faith, moved forward and had a heart of generosity, and this is how you know someone is spiritually mature, where you just say, uh, God, everything I have is because of you, so everything I have is yours. Here I am. Here I am. Christians should never live with a closed fist but an open hand. An open hand says, God, you can put in here whatever you want, and you can take out whatever you want. So if you live with a closed fist, you may not only miss opportunities to serve him, uh, but you miss opportunities for him to serve you. And so to have this heart of generosity, these people didn't have much. They're just like, what do you want to do? We're just trying to build a church here. We'll do whatever it takes to see people's life change. And they had this heart of generosity that came out of the spiritual maturity. Then you see this, look, next verse, what were they doing? They were about to be done. 
And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. What took place, this biblical community made God a priority privately and publicly. Here's what was taking place. They would come to the temple just like this, if you will, corporate gathering, corporate worship. But in order for them to go spiritually deeper so that there's application, so that there's accountability, so that there's maturity, they were part of this smaller group where they can talk through these things biblically. And, and God, it's pretty crazy. Look at what God did next. They were devoted. They were, they were held accountable. They were unified. They had hearts of generosity. And then here's what you see next. I think something we all want to see in verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Watch this. And I'm, and I'm closing and we're done. So here's what took place. The band's going to come up. Let me break it down. It all started with what? Verse 42, a devotion. To say, God, you know what? I'm not perfect. I don't have it all together. You know my heart. But I'm hungry for you, God. I'm so desperate for you. I want to see you move in my life. I want to see you move through me. I want to see you move in me. Please, God. I have found in my life to be true. That before God works through me, he works in me. Before God works through me, he works in me. This verse 42, there's a desperation. Please, God, please move. Please work. Please do something. And out of that desperation, look at this spiritual maturity. Comes this unity. Yes, we're all different. But gosh. What unites us? The blood of Jesus Christ. We can do powerful things if we keep Jesus first. We can do mighty things in this city if we keep him first. We can let God work through us if we just keep him first. And there's, they were unified. Then came this heart of accountability, came this heart of generosity, like God, whatever you want. I love the story of this church. We're coming on our 75-year anniversary for this church. But I love the story of so many sweet saints, how we got on these 40 acres. Oh, it's be when the church was beginning to grow, it was up the street and, and many of the sweet saints who are here today and are in the chapel, uh, man, they begin to say, God, we believe in you. We believe in this vision and we'll just do whatever you want. So they begin to pray and they fasted and watch this. This 40 acres cost them $2 million. And the church came together and there's, there's, no, there's no commercial. I'm not, I'm not gonna ask you for money. Just want you to listen to the story though. The church came together and people just gave as they had. It was this passage. It was this passage lived out. And people began to just give like, man, I just want to be part of something great, greater than myself. And there's like they're emptying themselves out so that God can fill them up. You know what took place after that? This was 1976. They bought this property. The church went from, I don't know, several hundred and exploded to 20,000 people. And thousands upon thousands upon thousands. If you don't think this scripture is true, this church, way before I got here, has lived out those verses and they have seen God move in a mighty way. What happened because these people were united? What happened here at North Phoenix is these people were generous. What happened? Let me tell you what took place. They literally saw thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands saved. They saw verse 47 take place. And because you have been faithful, Sharon today gave her life to Jesus. 
got baptized and will forever be changed. Because you have been faithful, college students this year will continue to see many, many saved and baptized. Young adults will see saved and baptized. Young marriage will see saved and baptized. And the list goes on and on and on. All because verse 42 is a reality. You don't experience verse 47 as an individual or a church. You don't experience the power of God if there is no devotion and desperation. The experience of the power of God happens first when you empty yourself out, when you become so desperate, you become so hungry for God to do something through your life. And yes, you are broken. Yes, you are imperfect. Yes, you don't have it together. Yes, you have sinned. Yes, you don't even want to be here today. But when you come to the end of yourself and say, I am desperate, God. I need you. I don't even know what I'm desperate for. I just am desperate and I'm broken and I'm hungry and I'm empty. Please do something mighty. What happens next is God does what only God can do. Do you know what happens? If today verse 42 is not a reality in your life, you know what happens? If verse 47 is the end goal and that's experiencing God and verse 42 is the foundation, let me tell you what takes place if verse 42 is not the foundation in your life today. Be very clear. If verse 42 is not the foundation of your life today, whether you are devoted to Jesus, not to North Phoenix, to Jesus. If you do not have a devotion to Jesus, everything else falls apart. This is the foundation. If you're wondering why your life is falling apart, I'd look at your foundation. If you're wondering why your life doesn't make sense and you're not experiencing God and, and you're hungry and these things are happening, I wonder what your foundation looks like. I wonder what in your foundation needs to be cracked and exposed so God can do a mighty work in you. I wonder what you need to confess. I wonder where your devotion needs to be. See, here's what I know. We don't have a devotion problem. You don't have a devotion problem. You don't. I think for a lot of us, we have an application problem. We have the knowledge. We don't always have the obedience. Again, Sharon's story, man, 30 minutes later gets baptized. Like, I get it, but what would church look like if we just were obedient? What if you today, you're like, man, I need to get baptized and I'm going to do it today. What if you're here today and you're saying, listen, I've never surrendered my life to Jesus I don't know what would happen if he came back and I don't have this foundation and I'm scared and I need him and I've been coming every Sunday and I don't know what to do, but I'm desperate. What would happen to your life if you just said, here I am, Jesus. Here I am, Jesus. What would happen in your marriage today if you were honest with Jesus and just said, we just aren't seeing eye to eye. I don't even want to be married anymore. I don't want to do this. What would happen if you came to Jesus today and said, I'm depressed, I'm suicidal, I don't want to live, I don't even think I believe in you, I hate the church, but I'm desperate and I'm broken. 
what would Jesus do today? And I plea with you. I get it. Some of you would jet out as soon as the song starts, but for the rest of you, man, would you just be desperate for him to move in your life? If I could do it for you, I would, I promise you. But I promise you, he is much greater. And he wants to do it for you. But he needs you to acknowledge and recognize your foundation is broken. It's broken. And that's okay. Because he is the greatest foundation worker there is. But acknowledge this morning that you need him. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and bow your head. And please, just for the sake of of what I feel like God is going to do, no one please leave just yet, please. Listen, I I just want to, let me pray for the Christians in here who you know you're a Christian. You know your love for Christ. You know where you are. You know you're mature. And if there are things in your life that you feel like, man, pastor, I haven't been devoted as I could be. I come to church twice a year and I'm not devoted pastor and I want to be or pastor there are things and I feel like my foundation is cracked and I need to reprioritize I don't know what it is but for the Christians in the room today just as a way of almost just confession just to build the culture of confession in here would you just acknowledge that is you in the room today just just pastor pray for me my foundation is a little cracked that's okay there's, there's hands going up everywhere I'm proud of you proud of you you're not alone it's really all of us you're not alone you're not alone thank you proud of you proud of y'all For those in the room today, as I talk about a desperation and obedience, listen, if you've never, I'm not going to do anything crazy, but if you're in here and you've never been baptized and you just heard Sharon's story, did it within 30 minutes, and you're saying, (laughs) you get baptized, if that is you, just raise your hand, just as a confession, like, I've been holding off and I'm scared, Pastor, proud of you. Anybody else? There's hands everywhere, proud of you, proud of you, proud of you, proud of you, proud of you. Anybody else? There's hands everywhere, everywhere, proud of you all. They're everywhere. And if you're here today and your life is in shambles and and these blocks on the floor make sense because it feels like your life is like this and you're desperate for Jesus and you know you need him. Listen, I've made that decision before so I know where you are. All across this room, will you just raise your hands saying, I need him and I'm desperate. I'm proud of you, man. Anybody else? You didn't even wait for me. Amen. Amen. I'm proud of y'all. Anybody else? Amen, buddy. Student over here, I'm proud of you. Proud of you back here, ma'am. Proud. If that is, I want y'all just to look at me if y'all are serious. There's a lot of hands raised. For those, raise your hand and look at me. So are you, y'all mean that today? For all those hands raised, you mean that? I'm proud of you. Y'all mean that over here? Here's what I want you to do. Man, I'm so proud of y'all. Hey, listen, proud of y'all. Those who raise their hands to get baptized and those who raise their hands to give your life to Jesus, here's what I want you to do. On a count of three, I'm, I'm going to ask you to stand and then everyone's going to cheer around you. This is your moment. This is your moment with Jesus acknowledging I need you. And this is your moment for those who are desperate to be obedient. So I want you to do this with me, all right? Y'all can do it. Ready? One, two, three. Come on, everyone who raised their hand, come on. Everyone who raised their hand, come on. Come on, proud of you. Come on, all across the room, proud of you. I want y'all to come to the front. I want to pray with you. I want y'all to come to the front. I want to pray with you. Come on, just come to the front. I want to pray with you. All across the room, come on. I want everybody to come right up here. Come right up here. Come on, right up here. Y'all keep coming. Church, why don't you stand with them as they come? Come on, church. Come on, church. 
Y'all keep coming.